Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Hangry Thoughts. I'm your host, Abby, a registered dietitian, intuitive eating counselor, and I am here to talk with you all today about set point theory. Before we get into that, though, I wanted to share a little bit of a tidbit for my week. Uh, when I record these episodes, I really try to like batch record so that, you know, if you know anything about me, my brain is going so fast. I got so many thoughts up in there. And if I don't get ahead of these episodes, they will fall behind. So currently it is November 15th and this episode is going to come out sometime in like mid-December. And oh, where was I going with this? <laughs> oh my God, the ADHD, bro. Oh, love it and hate it. Love it and hate it. Um, oh, my week this week. So... God, I posted a video on Instagram about the carnivore diet and I stitched a video, which may have been my first mistake. <laughs> if you've seen this video, you already know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I do not recommend you go back and watch it. The video itself, I thought was funny. Um, didn't really, I didn't really think was that deep. Up the comments, I do not urge you to read because there, there's some hate. There is some hate up in there. So this video, let me paint the pic for you. This video, um, I stitched a video of a gal eating a stick of butter, asking if there are any butter munchers out there. <laughs> and that word, that was like the word that like really threw me for a loop. I was like, LOL, butter muncher. That is a hilarious <laughs> little thing to call yourself. Love that. Um, and then I was like, why, why are we eating a stick of butter? If, if you want to do that, cool. But also why? You know what I'm saying? So what did I do? I stitched the video. And as, as I typically do when it comes to social media. And I posted it about three weeks ago. And it got some traction, but whatever. I pretty much in the video was just like, hmm, why are we eating a stick of butter? A butter muncher, that's a funny word. Um, also, I'm not a fan of the carnivore diet. I said that I thought it was kind of dumb, which I should have chose my words a little bit more carefully and or, and or I should have expanded on why I think this. And, you know, maybe we'll do another episode on the carnivore diet. But three weeks go by. And the carnivore dieters found it. And I've seen other dietitians that have had their videos go viral and they get so much hate from the other side of like TikTok or Instagram. And they're always like, oh my God, the engagement do be nice though. But also this hate is kind of rough. And so I was getting comments on there saying that I'm stupid, that I'm rude, that like my skin is ugly or that like... I, I should be doing things that are better for my health because I don't look healthy. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> and it started to come to this point where I'm like, hold up. Not once did I come at the person in the video or anyone else for that matter that does the carnivore diet. I'm just coming at the diet itself. And there's never been a time where my followers or myself have gone to this person's video and like attacked another person for who they are or what they look like because they posted a video that I or we don't agree with. Yet this like whole 
clan was coming for me in my comments, my DMs, um, my podcast. Like it was just wild. And it really made me take a step back and go, oh my God, they are not seeing this separation between diet and self. If I'm coming for their diet, they automatically correlate that to me coming for them directly and their worth and their beliefs and who they are and what they do and blah, 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 blah. When that was not it at all. I was just like, carnivore diet's dumb. Moving on. Ha ha. LOL. Funny jokes. That was not what they heard. And you know what? I I think another episode on this might not like the hate that I'm getting on social media because that's irrelevant. But I, I think like on diets and how we tie so much of our worth to them would be really helpful to to chat about because there is so much to unpack there. And you know what? When I was struggling with my disordered eating and diets and eating disorders, I felt that same way. If someone didn't agree with how I was working out, how I was eating or whatever it may be, I automatically link that to, well, they must hate me. They must not like me. I must be doing something wrong. And that felt soul crushing. So I get it. I I understand. I've been in that position too. But also, I want to take a step back and pause and go, was my video really that deep? You know what I'm saying? Okay, guys. Besides that, though, like my week has been good. You know, uh, we are coming up on Thanksgiving here. By the time this video comes up, this Thanksgiving will have passed. We'll be well into Christmas Hanukkah season. And I, I'm excited. I'm stressed. You know, all the things that come with the holidays. Um, I put up a little poll on my Instagram today, too, of like, hey, how are we feeling? Are we like, yay, the holidays are here? Or are we like, oh, my God, the holidays are upon us. Woof. And it really was half and half. And I feel like I'm kind of half and half as well. The holidays have always been this time of stress for me, more so in those days of really struggling with my relationship with food and body image. Now it's more more so this stress of like making travel plans, making sure, you know, the cats are good if we're leaving, making sure Drew and I have our stuff packed. And are we going to see all of the family members and friends that we don't get to see all year round? Like... And all of that coordination and hoopla. So if you are also struggling during this holiday season at whatever capacity and with anything at all, just know that that is valid. I see you. This can be a difficult time of year and it can also be a really fun time of year. So it is okay if you're having mixed feelings about this season. With that, I think it's about time we get into the episode. What do we think? Let's do it. Cue the intro. Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. 
Alrighty, I want you to take a pause and reflect right now. Before we start talking about set point theory, do you remember the first diet you tried? Did you notice how easy the weight came off? Or maybe you began to cut out foods, moving your body, and you lost a few pounds. Then a few weeks in, maybe you felt energy levels plummeting and the excitement or the newness of the diet just kind of wearing off. The weight started to plateau. You could no longer keep up with the demanding exercise regimen or food restrictions, and you found yourself back at your original weight in no time, or maybe even higher. Around this time, this is typically when we're starting to consider another diet, we're starting to feel like a failure, or like we just didn't try hard enough. Now, if you have felt like this, you are not alone. Uh, Let me just be one example of that. I have felt like this many times, and it sucks to feel in that place. Now, why does this happen? Well, we know that diets don't work, right? We know that our body is trying to get back to a place where it feels safe. It feels like it's at homeostasis. And it's at a place where it's like we are nourished and we are fueled. We are comfortable. We are smooth sailing. But like that doesn't really take away the frustration and maybe some of the anger that we get when it comes to the promises of diet culture and then it not living up to that promise right? Many parts of our physical and our psychological makeup are actually determined either in part or completely by genes, not genes that like you're wearing, but like your DNA. Okay. So for example, height is mostly determined by our genetic factors. There's like some environmental factors that might influence it like a little bit, but for the most part, it is what it is. There's some people that are shorter than average while others are taller than average. There's some people that are just kind of the the, exactly the average height, but we generally accept that we can't change our height. We generally accept that it is what it is. I'm short, I'm tall, I'm average, whatever it may be. And in the long term, this same principle applies to our weight. Genetics play a large part in determining our weight and our weight that our bodies tend toward. And this depends on our overall build, our bone structure, metabolism, musculature, our genes, and so much more. Research suggests that each human body has a weight range that it's genetically predisposed to and what it's maintaining. This natural weight range is also called our set point. Hence the set point theory where it got its name. And This set point is going to vary from individual to individual, regardless of other factors, such as height or gender. And there is something that I wanted to also point out when it comes to set point and just exactly, you know, where this idea comes from. So the set point theory is related to homeostasis. It's a theory that posits the human body is predetermined or has a predetermined weight or fat mass set point range. So notably, the rate at which one regains weight following a weight loss is considerably high with over 80% of individuals eventually regaining weight that they lost. And we've also seen studies that show us that 90% of dieters regain the weight that they lost during their diet, if not more. 
So the set point theory might explain this high incidence of regained weight. So when an individual loses weight, the body triggers increased appetite through modulation of satiety hormones, altered food preferences through behavioral changes, and overcompensating reduction in metabolism to drive the body back toward the set point range. Now, let me be clear. This is a theory, all right? This is a theory. And if we know things from school, a theory, it don't mean that is fact, okay? Rather, there's things that support this theory, and those are the things that I'm sharing with you today, but of course, there's also things that don't support it. So this by no means is like a hard and fast rule and is something that like we live by and is like Bible, but it's it's just another perspective to have as to why diets just aren't all that in a bag of chips. And actually, why do I keep saying that in all of my podcast episodes? I swear I don't use that saying all that in a bag of chips ever in my day to day. So I don't know like where that comes up, but hey, I'm going to roll with it. So on the other hand, weight gain also triggers compensatory compensatory mechanisms, but these are weaker than those protecting weight loss. So this asymmetry could be due to evolutionary advantages of storing fat for survival during prolonged caloric restriction periods. And also the set point theory remains a theory because of all of the molecular mechanisms involved in set point regulation are unclear. There's some researchers that may consider this theory to be really oversimplistic. And I think that's really important for us to chat about because a lot of things in diet culture are oversimplistic and actually in intuitive eating as well. So when we think about intuitive eating, generalized intuitive eating, like good old fashioned from the book, Evelyn Triboli, it's really great. And there's a lot of scientific research that backs it up and supports it. And I myself am a big advocate of intuitive eating. And I also recognize that it doesn't fit everybody. So one, I think, clear cut example of that is like someone that's neurodivergent. So let's take someone that has ADHD, for example. Uh, Oh, did you guys hear that? A cat just like leapt down from the cat tree and um, it literally sounded like an earthquake was happening. That cat was Ralph. He literally... (laughs) He literally is like a dog in that sense. He cannot land on his feet and like be soft with it and like absorb some of the landing. No, he's just on the ground. And then if you didn't hear any of that, um, cool, just ignore me. Um, okay. Oh, so let's take some. <laughs> let's take someone with ADHD and wanting to be an intuitive eater. Well this might be really difficult for them. Why? Well, we got a few factors here. Decision fatigue is a biggie. So if we have a really difficult time trying to figure out what food sounds good, what is my body feeling right now? What foods do I have on hand? Do I have the energy to cook and blah, blah, blah. That is going to take a lot of time and effort, especially if we're new to intuitive eating. And we've been used to for so long following a meal plan, a diet or whatever. Another thing with intuitive eating that doesn't match up for neurodivergence is it can be really hard as someone with neurodivergence to tap into how their body is feeling because there's so much going on around them and internally, 
it can feel next to impossible to check in with ourselves and go, okay, <clears throat> is my stomach hungry? Like it, it, sometimes that just doesn't work and that's okay. And I'm kind of making fun of it, but I'm making fun of myself. Okay. Um, I, I have ADHD. Did I tell you guys that? <laughs> I'm getting annoying. So intuitive eating is really great, but it also misses the mark on other occasions. Again, ADHD, neurodivergence in general, and other aspects as well. Food insecurity, um, places where it's maybe a food desert, and so on. So I want to bring this similar mindset to set point theory, okay? It's oversimplistic. There are things in it that totally make sense and match up, but there's other things where it's like, well, there's more to it. So just keep that in mind, all right? The theory also suggests that a person's weight set point is established early in life and it remains relatively stable unless it's altered by specific conditions. However, factors such as childbirth, menopause, aging, um, environment, and diseases can change the set points throughout someone's life. And there's more that we could add to that. Most individuals do not have one, but several set points throughout their lives. So uh, I think a clear example of that one is your quote unquote set point weight is going to be very different from 12 years old to 21 years old to 32 to 40 to 50 and so on, right? There are different hormone markers during those ages. You know, you're going through puberty. You are going through like adult, early adulthood. You are going through menopause. There's a lot Adaptive thermogenesis can explain the unsatisfactory results of weight loss. So in response to negative energy balance, adaptive changes result in energy sparing by reducing resting energy expenditure or what we just call REE and something that I touched on in a previous episode. So during early weight loss, adaptive thermogenesis triggers changes to meet the brain's energy needs by an adaptive reduction in regulatory hormones like insulin and leptin. So why the heckaroo is that important? Well, leptin, our good old satiety hormone, it's critical in set point regulation and weight maintenance through adaptive thermogenesis. Okay. So if we're going through a weight loss maintenance uh, period, our leptin levels are going to drop. So our leptin, again, the the satiety hormone that's stored in our fat cells is going to drop to keep energy expenditure low and prevent our triglyceride stores or fat stores from depleting to maintain our body's essential biological functions. Leptin is also going to play a role in reducing thyroid activity and decreasing sympathetic system activity to decrease skeletal muscle thermogenesis. So our body is quite literally adapting to the lower or reduced consumption of food to maintain our weight so that it can withstand that period of lower consumption. So if we are on a diet and we are attempting weight loss, we're going to see a plateau during that time. And so typically what do we do? We try to cut calories further. We try to up the amount of exercise that we're doing. And sometimes for a point that works and we start to see weight loss again, 
and sometimes it doesn't and we keep maintaining that same weight ralph i swear to god ralph hey hey oh my god he's like i'm gonna scratch this shit out of this cat post <laughs> i am recording a podcast over here it's always ralph griff is a little angel except every one of my friends is terrified of him uh but ralph is over he's a little demon during my podcast episodes just let me record i love you so Oh my God, what was I talking about? So if we are on a weight loss plateau, um, we we might also see like we're seeing that weight loss go back down. We're like, okay, cool. The amount of calories that I'm doing, the amount of exercise that I'm doing is starting to work again. And then we see a plateau again. And then we hit that period of, well, I need to decrease my calories yet again. I need to up my exercise yet again. And it's just this nonstop cycle until we have to stop because we're barely eating and we're working out day and night. So that is part of that cycle that we can get into with diet culture and also the way that set point weight theory starts to come into play where our body starts to go, hey, whoa, 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 our body can't withstand this. This is too much for us right now. So another way that I like to think of set point theory is kind of like thinking of it as like a thermometer, okay? So, or a thermostat. So we know that set point is the idea that everyone has a weight range their body wants to stay within. If we think of it as a thermostat, when weight drops, the body notices this and it increases appetite through hormones. So our ghrelin, our GER hunger hormone, <laughs> that one is triggered. And so it's like, okay, I'm feeling hungrier. I'm noticing this more. Ralph inappropriate. You're going to get your dinner in just a little bit, bud. Um, and the, oh my God, this is what my clients hear. <laughs> I'm not like talking with Ralph like this much when I'm with a client, but like on the podcast, I don't know. I just, I just do. Okay. Deal with it. Okay. <laughs> so when weight drops, the body notices the increases appetite through uh, hunger hormones to gain calories back to regain weight just as like a cold house warms up on it uh, warms up as the heat turns on to reach the desired temperature our body is functioning similarly dieting and diet culture are offering these promises that it can't necessarily keep and that's frustrating as all hell so we then kind of pose this question of what if you're below your set point? How do you know if you're below your set point? Ralph, do not jump. Okay. <laughs> this podcast is just me yelling at Ralph. I need to rename it like Ralph's podcast. So our set point is particularly important concept to understand if we have an eating disorder, disordered eating, chronic dieting, and you may be engaging in periods of restrictive eating. And if this results in you falling below your body's natural set point weight range, your body is going to respond by increasing again those hunger signals, at least initially, and your mental preoccupation with food while decreasing your metabolism. Okay, so mental preoccupation with food, what does that look like? That means we are constantly thinking about food, thinking, okay, I just ate breakfast. What is my next meal going to be? Thinking about how many calories are in this food. You get the picture, okay? So uh, these mechanisms are in place to try and get your body back to its natural weight range. 
They're developed through evolution to protect us from starvation, okay? Trying to keep your body below its natural set point weight range is going to result in an ever-increasing battle with these mechanisms. Preoccupation with food can become really freaking overwhelming, and it can be really hard to concentrate on anything else. I remember during college where, like I said, it's always during college for me. During college, I remember I was in a biochemistry exam and I knew my shit for this exam. I was so prepared. This was one of my favorite subjects in undergrad. I took an additional semester of it because I loved it so much. And then I preceptored for it. So like, I liked the subject. And yet I would sit in this exam and I remember I couldn't read the fucking question to save my life because every single time I tried to read it, I would be thinking about food because my stomach was growling because I hadn't eaten in a while because I had been restricting myself for so long. That is a more extreme example of food preoccupation. But I mean, this can also be like going out and hanging out with friends and maybe you're not doing that something that's like food related and you're sitting there thinking about like, okay, when I go home, I can't wait to have that, that snack that's in my fridge that I haven't been able to eat all day, but I'm going to afterwards. Or if you go out to eat with friends and it's like, can't get that because that's too many calories. So maybe I can figure out something else on this menu that is lower calories and healthier and blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of thought, time, and energy. Due to increased levels of hunger and increased thoughts about food, constant restricting food intake can make us really vulnerable to episodes of binge eating. And this is another part of that binge eating or restriction diet cycle that we see. And this is why dieting is so ineffective. So eating a balanced diet and exercising moderately, which, you know, when I say that, A balanced diet looks different from person to person. Exercising moderately looks also different from person to person. So I want you to take that with a grain of salt, okay? We can maybe delve into that in another episode, but all in all, I want you to think of a balanced diet. Let's just break that down into like a meal, okay? For example, a balanced diet may not necessarily be we're cutting out whole food groups and emitting them from our diet. Like we are just never eating carbs. That would not be very balanced. That would make it really hard for our hunger and our fullness hormones to be regulated. Similarly with like exercising moderately. For some people that is going on a walk once a day. For other people it's weightlifting. For some people it's working out once a week. For some people it's light stretching. It is individual. So doing these things can help keep our body within its natural weight range, and it can help us if we're suffering from food, oh my gosh, food preoccupation due to restriction food intake. And this is a key thing that the set point theory says is to recover from preoccupation with food, weight, and hunger, your body must be returned to a weight that is within its natural weight range. No amount of psychological treatment will remove your food obsession unless weight is regained to a healthy, normal range for your body. Now, this is, majority of the time, this is going into like extreme cases. So if someone has a very restrictive eating disorder, struggling with anorexia, 
But this can also go for someone that they've been yo-yo dieting for years of their life and their body has just been weight cycling during this whole time. And they've never really been at a weight range that they've been able to maintain without crazy crash diets and exercise. So where do we go from here? Okay, well, I think it's important for us to consider this. Discussing set point and body weight, okay? I want you to consider a person that's typically eating a balanced diet and exercises moderately, okay? Again, take that with a grain of salt. We expect that for much of their adulthood, their weight will tend to fluctuate with their set point weight range. Their weight may fluctuate up temporarily if, for example, they go on a holiday. However, upon their return home, once they resume their normal pattern of eating exercise, their weight will naturally fluctuate down again without effort. Okay. Conversely, a person's weight may temporarily fluctuate down if they become ill, go through a period of stress. It could also fluctuate up for those same reasons. However, once their health has improved, their body will fight to regain the lost weight or the weight that was gained by increasing hunger, decreasing hunger, and slowing or increasing metabolism temporarily. Okay. So again, we see how our body is adapting to meet our body's needs and the things that are going on and happening in our life. So another question that gets brought up, can my set point change? The short answer is yes, but the long answer is maybe not in the way that diet culture falsely promises. So I want you to think about the ways that your body has changed throughout your life again. For many, there's pivotal times in our life where we see drastic changes in body composition, weight, and and shape shifting, right? So again, that early adolescence, that 10 to 13 years old, this is that beginning of puberty. We're starting to see weight gain, spurts in height, middle adolescence, that 14 to 17 years old. This is when puberty-related changes continue along with weight gain, and then body compositions are also changing, including our shape. So like for females, maybe hips are starting to get wider. And then late adolescence and early adulthood is another pinnacle part where we're thinking or think, oh my gosh, where um, our body is continuing to grow, weight gain is still happening. And what happened from when you graduated high school to like when you graduated college? Did your body look the same? Probably not. Even if your diet and your exercise stayed the same, your body likely changed. And that's not because of anything that you did right or wrong. It's just is. It just is. So how do we accept our set point? So perhaps our set point is higher than what we'd like it to be. Or it's higher than others. And maybe it's higher than what doctors or people on social media have suggested it quote unquote should be. Then what do we do? Well, we can return to the example of height and remind ourselves that the idea is it is what it is. The most important goal is body neutrality or acceptance. You can change different aspects of your behaviors, but you cannot change your genetic makeup, your natural set point range, your height. Therefore, achieving full recovery from eating disorder, chronic dieting, and healthy body image involves full acceptance or neutrality of our body, weight, shape, height, and all. 
Now, mm, part of that too, I think also goes to say when we talked about intuitive eating earlier is like for some people, that's just not the case. And you know what? That's also okay. Weight acceptance or body acceptance, body neutrality can be really hard, really fucking hard. And I also think we have to take into account what is our environment? What is our society that we live in? What is our background? What is our race, our gender, our, our pronouns, our ethnicity, our, our sex, all of the things that contribute to one, who we are, but two, how other people are perceiving us because it can be really freaking hard to live in this world when we are so influenced by diet culture and we have those worries of what are other people thinking about me. And so if that is something that you're struggling with, I want to urge you to listen to my episode. Um, If I know diets don't work, what did I call it? If I know diets don't work, why do I still want to diet or something like that? It should be the episode right before this one. (laughs) So I, I want you to go check out that episode because I think that that might help bring that ho- that point home a little bit further. And I also think that that just needs a whole episode dedicated to it on its own, you know, because that's complicated. That is complex. So we talked about set point. We talked about body weight. We discussed what if you're below or above your set point? How does it change or does it change throughout your life? And that's a lot of energy, or not energy, information. But what I want to leave you with is this. This is, again, a theory. And if this is something that feels helpful to you, great. If it doesn't, okay. That is fine, too. This is not hard or fast science. Again, I'm sharing these things that are in support of it, but... Again, like just like with nutrition, there is a lot of ongoing debate and research that is happening and it's complicated as hell, especially when people on social media are all gung-ho about certain topics and we're kind of pigeonholed into our own ideas about what weight, health, nutrition uh, should be looking like for individuals. So all in all to say, my only goal for you today as like a takeaway is what of this episode or the episodes that I've put out already have been helpful to you, whether that is if you're wanting to change your relationship with food, uh, have a different perspective on health, wanting to change something in your diet, whatever it may be. If, if you find something that's helpful to you, that's amazing. If you find something that's not super helpful to you, that is also totally okay. I am not here to sway you any one way or the other. I am just here to provide some information, and if it resonates, that's great, but if it doesn't, that's okay. That's okay. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode on Set Point Theory. Stay tuned for the next episodes because we got lots more coming at you, and I hope you all have a good rest of your holidays. All right. Bye-bye.